Hi, welcome to our podcast. Today we're going to be talking about liquids at room temperature. Well, I want to start off by talking about bromine. Bromine is a fun element to talk about. I might be a little biased when I say that because I like talking about elements. Um, so bromine, it's a halogen. So it's the second to last column on the periodic table. It's element number 35 right below chlorine. And yeah, it's a liquid at room temperature, which is why we're talking about it today. So bromine's a reddish brown liquid and it's pretty volatile so it'll evaporate really quickly and uh when it does that it gets into the air and it smells like really bad like really bad i was once working in the lab when i was like using bromine and i think i like spilled some or something or i don't remember exactly what happened but i got like a huge whiff of it and i spent the rest of the day just constantly smelling bromine and it wasn't fun so i don't recommend that so bromine, again, one of the very few elements that's a liquid. Um, and to explain why this is, I want to first talk a little bit about periodic trends. And I think we've probably talked about this before, but I think it's worth bringing up again because it, just, it helps explain everything. So when you want to examine chemical behavior or chemical properties, you really want to look at the family of the elements in. So like the column it is in the periodic table, because as you look at a column, as you go down, you'll see the common behaviors and properties that'll basically intensify as you go down. Um, so with halogens, those basic properties would be like they're toxic, they form pretty strong acids, and they form salts easily. Um, and they have seven electrons in their outer shell. And none of those by themselves really explains why bromine is a liquid, but I mention it because it will help you follow where I'm going to be going with it because it's kind of related to like the seven electrons, but not by itself. Um, so we look at the halogens, second column of the periodic table, second to last column. Way up top is good old fluorine. Fluorine is a very electronegative gas um, that you don't really see in its pure elemental gaseous form because it's so reactive. Um, but if you isolate it, it's a gas. And then you have chlorine. I'm sure you've heard of chlorine gas, very toxic. Um, it's actually denser than air, fun fact. So it'll actually sink towards the ground. Then you have bromine, which is its liquid. And we're talking about why that is, just bear with me. And then you have iodine right below it. And that's a, a solid. Um, and then there's stuff below it, but that's like radioactive and man-made stuff. So it doesn't really count. Um, but as you look at this, you can see you go down the halogens, you get denser and you start to experience more intermolecular forces. So they go from gas to liquid to solid. And bromine is smack dab in the middle of the halogens. So it makes a little conceptual sense as to why it is a liquid, because it's in that middle state. But really, that's just an observational explanation. So like to actually chemically and atomic at a chemical and atomic level to explain why bromine is a liquid, ultimately it has to do more with a little bit of atomic weight, but mostly electrons. So electrons, as it turns out, are really important in chemistry. They kind of help explain a lot about why things do what they do. So again, as you go down the periodic table in general, atoms will always increase in atomic size. So they're gonna gain more protons. And when they do that, in order to remain neutral, you have to also gain more electrons. So that will increase the size of their electron cloud. And what happens when you gain more electrons is 
the intermolecular force called London dispersion forces that's able to increase. So fluorine and chlorine are relatively light and they don't have that many electrons. So like with fluorine, it has like this really strong columbic attraction to the nucleus with its electrons. So what that is, is basically the force of attraction related to distance. So it has a very small electron cloud. So the electrons are very tightly fixed to that nucleus. And that means that fluorine doesn't really have the ability to have its electrons interact with other molecules because they're mostly just stuck to the nucleus. So that's why fluorine would be a gas. But as you keep going down the periodic table to get to like iodine, it's elect it has like 53 electrons. So its electron cloud is huge. And so that means it can create these pretty relatively strong London dispersion forces that really lock iodine molecules together. So it becomes in this fixed solid state. And that doesn't mean that iodine or fluorine like or iodine can't be a gas because what's actually happening is you're adding those electrons is you're actually increasing the boiling state or the boiling point which means that as you increase your temperature it's going to take more and more energy for these one dispersion forces to kind of break away from each other um, to create a gaseous state and Again, bromine is right in that middle spot. So bromine is lighter than iodine, heavier than chlorine, and has, has a fair amount of strong intermolecular forces, but it only has like 35 electrons. So its electron cloud is essentially large enough to where the outside electrons could interact with other molecules and cause that attraction to that previous gaseous state, which um, prevented gaseous state but there's still enough of a columbic attraction to the nucleus to prevent it from being a solid. And again, as it might like look around on the periodic table, you might notice that like, oh, but selenium to the left of it, that's, that's a solid. And like, so why is like bromine like so different? Like surely other elements in the solids, like that are solids, they still have similar electronic structure to bromine, but they're solids, like why is that? And so again, I want to remind you that like when you're looking at periodic the you know, property of an element to just focus on that column um because like the more left you go you'll get start to get into like transition metals and those kind of behave or their electrons behave a little differently than like non-metals and halogens like they even bond differently and everything so they're kind of different you can't really compare those to bromine and then like to the right of it are the near noble gases and noble gases are special. Fun fact, they weren't actually even like originally included in the periodic table because I didn't realize they were elements. Um, <laughs> they didn't react with anything. And yeah, but anyways, if you wanna know something like why something on the periodic table, really you just focus on like that one column to get your, it's like the best way to get information. So yeah, essentially it's just, you go down the periodic table, you're increasing your bond strength and bromine's just in that middle category. I did mercury, and good old mercury. Everyone loves mercury. <laughs> Super fun. Um, if you want to know more about mercury, it's actually on our poisons episode. You could learn about how it stops brain growth. It's really fun. Fun fact, though, because why not start with a fun fact? I didn't look how, up how to pronounce this. The word mercurial, I think, is how it's pronounced is used to describe someone who's erratic or volatile, and it's actually referring to the Roman god of Mercury and also kind of tied into Mercury itself because it's 
it's interesting. Its atomic symbol is HG, which comes from its old name. Its atomic number is 80. Um, it's sometimes called Quicksilver because of its liquid silver appearance, because it just makes sense. It's very dangerous, not radioactive, but still, still very bad for you. And if you haven't seen Mercury, it's, it's interesting because you'll see it spill or on the ground or on something. And it's always, it's usually in these little orbs and it just, it has a very high surface tension. So it's going to have, it's going to be able to make those droplets very easily. Like you see with water, when it goes over the glass, over the top of the glass, it has a high surface temp tension and is therefore able to make those droplets. It also ties into the phrase mad as a hatter because hatters used to work with mercury and because of that, they became mad. It was, sometimes still is used in thermometers. It's not usually anymore, but there are still a few. I'll get into that a little bit later. And like water and many other substances, mercury evaporates into a vapor if left out long enough and that's more dangerous than the liquid kind, so it's just bad. And actually, it's used, there is a small amount, I don't think it's, I believe it was concluded not high enough to actually cause any harm to people over six or something like that. Don't quote me on that. But fluorescent lights contain a little bit of mercury. It's not a lot, and I don't actually know why I should have researched that, but there is a small amount of mercury. So if your fluorescent light breaks, be careful when cleaning that up because it's possible there are traces of mercury somewhere in there. Finally, to why it's a liquid. It's not as complicated as Annika's, to my knowledge. I, it could go farther, I don't know. But um, when you have something that forms a solid, you know, you have your very organized structure, all the atoms are bonded together. It's nice and, you know, organized. They're just vibrating a little bit. They're not like running away from each other. And then when you heat it up, they get more energy. They break away from that. They become more disorganized and then they're a liquid, and then when they heat up enough, they just start going everywhere, and that's when you get a gas. And so the the bonds that are keeping mercury from doing that, the things that are keeping them organized, are very, very weak. And so because of that, it does not take a lot of heat or energy to change state into a more chaotic state. So it allows them to become liquid at room temperature because they don't have a lot of energy, which is why most things are not liquid at room temperature. But they have enough to where they are a liquid, but not enough to be a gas. And it's actually funny because mercury has the smallest smallest temperature window, I guess, for being a liquid. It just happens to fall perfectly on room temperature. The reason it's used in thermometers is actually because as it gets warmer, you know, it starts disorganizing more. They start pushing away from each other because that's what it does. And it seems to it seems to increase in volume. And as it gets warmer, the little the amount of mercury in the vial will, you know, in, not increase because there are still the same amount of particles. It becomes less dense and it just, you know, um, expands. It's going to go up and then read to a different line on the thermometer. And then as it gets colder, it's going to do the opposite. And it's going to go back down and be more dense. I think that's really all I had on mercury. It's it's a fun element. I've never thought of mercury gas, and now I have a new. It's very it's dangerous. Do not. About. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I know a fun fact about mercury from working like with a barometer. You know how they measured like air pressure in milliliters of mercury. Yeah. So if you look at a barometer, 
you know how like if you're measuring water the meniscus of the water like dips downwards and mercury is actually like it's very much not attracted so i guess propelled is the word to glass so when you're looking at a barometer it'll actually like have the meniscus bump up so you have to measure it differently than water caused a lot of problems reading that in the lab i had to do yeah we love mercury thank you for listening and we'll see you next time for more interesting chemistry topics